So, welcome to an episode of Contextualize, and it is Pastor Jim, and today it's not AJ. Yeah. It's, he's got a great beard if it's yeah, AJ. Yeah. It's Pastor Bill. It was, fa- it was fast growing. <laughs> fast growing yeah. and everything. I would like to have his gifts and be sitting here. Brother. Oh, on a podcast <clears throat> and yes. everything. Yes. Well, we uh, are thankful for Ephesians 4 makes it very clear that yes. you don't get AJ's gifts. He doesn't get yours. Yeah. We And I don't have either of your gifts, and we get to share them. Yeah. And aren't we thankful? Oh, or should man. we be always thankful? <sighs> always thankful. Sincere Thanksgiving. Well, let me um, start out. We're going to talk about Second Corinthians 2 in a little bit, but one of the things that I think AJ does well when he moderates our podcast is he usually comes with a question I don't know or just kind of starts out in a conversational way that just draws us in. So right. what I thought I'd ask you about, Bill, is um, we have our vision night upcoming this Sunday. And as you think about the church gathering to look into the future, maybe even to assess where we are, just no commentary needed on the plans for that particular night because we hope people will come. But as you look at Christ Community, um, what excites you? What is a a thing that you are thankful that you're experiencing with God's people? And maybe what's an area that you want to see us grow in? Yeah, that is a great question. I've actually been working on my introduction for Sunday night, as you asked me to do. And, uh, well, you can't give be, it all away. I'm not going to say what it is. <laughs> I am trying to make it concise. And um, one of the things that really has struck me in a variety of different ways over the past week or two especially is uh, just the, the emphasis on Scripture that is a part of our DNA here. And I don't think it's, it's not just a, a program or a slogan. But I really do see people wanting to wrestle with the scripture, and I see that taking place, in, whether it's the Friday night equip seminars or in the worship service, in counseling and friendship, in a variety of, of different ways. Uh, I mean, we've even enjoyed it in the youth group, meeting yep. at our house and having, having the older kids in the youth group start to with with some very good helps that ha has located uh, actually prepare the lesson and teach the lesson and um, uh, just that's awesome it is and to see the excitement of the kids as they understand and embrace the scripture more for themselves yeah so our listeners may not be aware but in our youth community group which is not just kids it's very different than a typical youth group there's not one youth pastor leader or there's not it's fun. It's a great time of fellowship. But what we're doing this fall particularly is we're having high school aged students lead the study. And our group includes sixth grade all the way up through 12th grade. And yeah. so you have, that's kind of what you're referencing, right, which, right. Is, which is yeah. just awesome. So if you so the, a saturation with scripture, it's part of our DNA. I agree with that. Um, and I'll probably reference some things to that end on Sunday night as well. If you had to think of an area that you want to see us grow in, does anything come to mind? Um, the very same thing, <laughs> actually. And honestly, I, while I'm so thankful for all the, um, uh, the ways that I see Scripture being used and looked to in what we do as a congregation and as individuals, I know I want to grow more in that, and I think there are a lot of other people who want to grow who want to grow in more of that as well, where we where we have a better grasp of what the Scripture says and we go to it for our guidance, for our comfort, for 
understanding what sin is, for understanding what we do about our sin. And so I, I think that's an ongoing thing that we'll be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord by growing in the knowledge of His Word. So what I hear you saying is it's you're not talking about more Scripture so we can be better informed. You're talking about God's Word continuing to transform us. Yes. More and more and more. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's good. Yeah. Well, we will say one of the things I'll do on the Sunday evening talk, for those of you, I do hope everybody's there from our congregation. It yes. would be an okay thing to bring friends to who's visited a few times. This isn't just for members or anything. Uh, but... In the part of the evening I'll lead, I'm going to go through five different categories of church life that are biblical. You know, how do we handle the word? How do we worship? Discipleship, evangelism, mission, those five categories. And I'm prayerfully thinking through where do I see us being strong? Yeah. And where do I see visible weaknesses that we need to collectively and individually ask for God to mature us? And so we've tapped into that in this question um, mm-hmm. that you've answered. So. Yeah. Look forward to seeing you Sunday evening. Be on time. Sit in the inner room. We're going to have outer room as well as it uh, looks like the weather is going to be fantastic out in the courtyard. So thanks to all who are setting up some different technological uh, enhancements to make it all possible. But look forward to seeing you there. So for our podcast today, what AJ and I have done is we've spent a couple weeks walking into the first couple chapters of Second Corinthians. And so, Bill, you and I will continue on. And we are going to look really starting in about verse 5 through the end of chapter 2. So chapter 2, verse 5 to the end of the chapter. So um, a little bit of rehearsal here. Paul is writing to a church that he loves. He was a church planner there. That's Acts chapter 18. We studied 1 Corinthians, which is that first letter over the course of many months in our preaching series before 1 Samuel and, and before Job, excuse me. And so we come to 2 Corinthians, and as we saw last week, Paul does reference that there's another letter he wrote, a letter that caused grief, a letter that was intense. Um, And we discussed last time, is that 1 Corinthians? Is that a different letter that we don't have access to? And most commentators believe that Paul is referring to a very difficult letter he had to write that wasn't 1 Corinthians. Um, But either way, Paul is now writing this letter, which we do have, his second or third or fourth letter, because there's much correspondence between him and this church. And uh, he has been saying, hey, I I can't wait to come see you, but it was necessary that I write you a letter instead of coming prematurely. And so now we come to verse 5 of chapter 2, and Paul brings up not just a situation, he actually brings up a person. And so, Bill, why don't you help get us into verse 5 and following about this painful thing Paul brings up. And he says, uh, if anybody has caused pain, he's caused not not pain to me, but in some ways, he's caused pain to all of you. What in the world is he talking about? Who, yeah. who is this person that might be being referenced here? Yeah, it seems that uh, most of the commentators agree, and uh, and it seems to be the most straightforward reading of the text to uh, to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul pointed out a particular and specific situation a man who uh, there was a, an incidence of sexual immorality that Paul says is even something that the pagans recognize as not wrong. Uh, a man had his father's wife uh, I believe is how scripture puts it. So At that time, Paul said, this isn't right. This shouldn't be done. You need to put that man out of the fellowship. Yeah, and I'm back in 1 Corinthians 5 now, and he he says this is the action you didn't do that you should do. Put the man out of fellowship. But he also says to the church, 
you're not even mourning about this. Yes. In some ways, you're boasting, you're arrogant about it. I'm unsure exactly what that arrogance could look like, but as we preached this past Sunday from 1 Samuel, it appears that Paul is saying, you have contempt for Christ. Yes. When yeah. this is just existing among you with no response whatsoever. Right, right. So apparently the Corinthians put this man out of the church. They they did what Paul admonished them to do. And now uh, it, it appears that he's repented. Yeah. So back to 1 Corinthians 5, Paul actually says very strongly, he says that um, when you're assembled in the name of Jesus and my spirit's present with you, you're to, you're to put this person out, deliver him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. In other words... Call him an unbeliever if he's going to persist in this and reject Christ. Right. But then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So even back in 1 Corinthians, Paul's saying this man has done something egregious. Right. But the posture the church must take, very strong in its stance, is for his restoration with Christ. Yes. There was still hope, even though it may seem bleak, there's still hope hope for that man to be restored. So let's jump back into 2 Corinthians then, even though he doesn't very, very strongly say, this man repented. Why don't you help us look at verse 6 there, 2 Corinthians 2, 6, Bill, and just kind of explain what seems to be the the countenance of this man, and how, where do we see evidence that he's probably repented? Yeah, Paul says, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. That would seem to be a reference to him being... Um, Put out of the fellowship, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. So it sure sounds like uh, this man has experienced a change of heart and has expressed true sorrow. And it's it's quite a commentary and a reminder to us that it is possible to become so sorry for sin without a solution you can become overwhelmed by that excessive sorrow so there's a couple things going on here you have church discipline yes and you have individual repentance and now paul is saying that same church that executed discipline must restore him and comfort him and don't let him go down the path of a grieving that leads to death Mm -hmm. as he'll say later in chapter seven we're talking about a grieving and a repenting without regret the restoration in the gospel is so sufficient. And so Paul says, basically, the punishment by the majority was enough for him. In other words, when he was cast out of the church as an unrepentant sinner, therefore as an, functioning as an unbeliever, that was punishment enough. And now in verse 8, I beg you, I beg you, reaffirm your love for him. That's why I wrote to you. Be obedient in everything. And we were chatting briefly before coming to the office here with AJ was involved and um, just all of us were chatting a bit and AJ said it's so funny the way the church at Corinth they missed it on the front end <laughs> they were arrogant and they were we're not going to call that man out and why would we do that as long as everybody's here we're happy they, they missed it on the front end and now Paul's really concerned they, he doesn't want them to miss it on the back end yes where they don't fully restore this brother and Bill and I may both have different experiences from our past in churches where church discipline was executed um but I will tell you that when I've been on the back end where the church needs to be told this sinner has repented and must be received as 
shameless in God's sight. And all the guilt of their sin is laid on Christ. Therefore, we as a congregation are going to shamelessly love and we're going to show by our affections that the guilt's been laid on Christ and it's finished. Yeah. It's done. And um, you don't want to miss it on the front end and you certainly don't want to miss it on the yeah. back end. That's right. And, you know, that that is a, a common struggle for us, I think, because we, uh, in our heart, we, we love the doctrines of grace. We love uh, the, the overwhelming nature of God's mercy to us but there's still something in us that kind of longs for meriting or earning or paying for and sometimes it comes out clearly in our own struggle we you know we we can despair of God's forgiveness but it also and maybe more dangerously happens when we look at others and we think well I know God's grace is sufficient but what they did was so bad and you can fill in the gap with yeah, whatever. we set it's, up it's false all, standards. Yeah, I mean, we know from the scriptures as well as in contemporary examples. It's often sexual falling. That's a, a frequent reality yeah. in the world. But it can be it can be anything. It can be yes. a public addiction. It can be right. uh, laundering money. It can be you know. Imagine a person who loses their job because they end up you know defrauding their company and it's public. It's in the paper and they're a Christian. And how did they do this? Yeah. What does it look like for the church to execute? Uh, adherence to God's law to say you must repent before all sins against him Psalm 51 your creator and your redeemer but when repentance has been done and when the fear of the Lord prompts one to say I I, want to pay back what I can like the the tax collector did right Um, what does it look like then for the church especially through her leaders to say now forgive this brother or sister that is a calling we must do as a congregation. So you, you have Paul say that. Paul says, basically, I'm not even there. But he says, anyone whom you forgive, I forgive also. Indeed, what I've forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. And so you can see Paul basically saying, we're all in Christ together. Yeah. And if Christ bore the cost of one sin, then when, when he, Christ, forgives, we forgive. And if, Bill, you forgive someone and, under, and, and explain to me that their repentant heart has been on display, then I forgive them right. if it's a public thing. Right. Now, not every sin is public. We need to make sure that that's also known. Yes. But Paul is talking that's about right. a public sin here that needed to be yeah. dealt with. And so right. where there is public sin and there's public discipline, there ought to be public restoration. Right, right. Because the whole thing that brought about the discipline was a, a, a refusal to repent so now when there is repentance it, it ought to be just as public as was uh, the other. and I may get these words wrong but in the course of church history certainly in our standards as a denomination we would say there's multiple reasons for church discipline yeah. but let me give three that come to my mind the glory of God the reclaiming of the sinner yes and the purity of the church yeah. and so you have basically that on display here in second Corinthians 2 that Paul is saying God has done a work to restore someone to himself for his glory and that other person's good. So now a sinner's been reclaimed. Now let the church be pure in how we point people to the freedom and the forgiveness of Jesus. Yes, absolutely. Isn't it fascinating too how Paul warns them that they're they're in kind of a dangerous spot right now. He said, "You, you need to follow through on this forgiveness so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. 
in verse 11. For yep. We are not ignorant of his design. So in other words, this situation where there's been a great outpouring of grace and an opportunity for mercy and restoration is also a prime place for Satan to cause to sin. Satan would love for a public sin to keep a person labeled yeah. and distant and unrestored and full of guilt for the rest of their time yeah. on earth. Yes. Not fully believe in the gospel, even if they're in the church. Right. And Satan would love for the church to to really believe that some people are outside the bounds of God's full mm-hmm. rescue. Yeah. And Satan would love that. Yes. It's interesting. Calvin uh, on this verse says, uh, There is nothing more dangerous than to give Satan a chance of reducing a sinner to despair. Whenever we fail to comfort those that are moved to a sincere confession of their sin, we play into Satan's hands. Golly. That's a, I thought that, that's really good. It is. Good. And so let me give a, a, an admonishment, uh, exhortation to those listening. You may have somebody in your life that you know. And you can't know their heart fully, but you've seen them repent before God of something, some way of just missing the mark and having the consequences that follow them. Take advantage of the opportunity to, to remind them of their identity in Christ. Take a moment to remind them when you see them despairing of the finished work on the cross that takes away all shame and guilt. Uh, would that we're a place. But see, you can't be a place that does that if you're not a place that doesn't call sin out. Right. Right? That's but right. if a person has run from their sin and sought to run to God in Christ, then may we be privileged in our reminding one another of our identity. And yeah. so actually let's let's move on, but I want to sure. show where it transitions. I'll skip a little bit of part of the verse 12 talks about, um, again, Paul's journeying and wanting to see Titus, but then he jumps into verse 14 and says, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, excuse me, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. So, so how would you link that, Bill, to what this situation probably conjured up in the reader yeah. there in, in Corinth? That's a, a good question. I think uh, Paul's basic point is faithfully preaching about Jesus. There's an aroma to that. There's a sweetness to that. And there's a power to that. And that that is not based on how people respond to it. It is the gospel of Christ is a sweet aroma. Yeah. Whether it leads to death or to life. We don't fully understand and comprehend that. But... Paul is saying that, I think he's implying at least, that faithfulness in proclaiming the gospel, there, there's, there's going to be an effect. There's an there's effect. There's going to be one of two effects. But, um, People will hate it unto death or they will be moved yes. by God's Spirit to love the scent of a Christ-centered church unto life. Yes. It's one of those two. Yeah. So the message of the gospel remains pure and central and that ties back to what do we do with this guy who's now repenting of his sin. Yeah, so if I was real yeah. specific, let's imagine this man never repenting. Yeah. Because the church says we value Christ and his way of rescue and the calling to repent and believe in what he took on himself, the cost of our sin. We, we, we hold that so high that we'll now execute church discipline toward one who says, nah, I can hang out in this group and I can be a part of the church and I don't have to repent. I could care less what you say. 
All right. So if the church says, no, 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 we love Jesus so much, you can't. Yeah. This is this is not the way that you act or it, it, it shouldn't even be named among us if we're Christ. Yeah. If that man left the church in anger, slandered the congregation, said, that's a place that's unloving, they don't accept people like me, then that aroma of Christ is one, it's, it's a stench of death to someone. Yeah. I reject it. But if Christ is held as high as he is, when that man, by God's Spirit, repents and turns, then the aroma of Christ's purity washing over an individual and then the church saying, we receive you as pure in God's sight, then that smells and it tastes so beautifully different that there's life on the other side of that. And so that's really what's being said here. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. I like the word triumphal procession that just you yes. can see Christ through his church is just marching through the hearts of people and triumphal procession indicates that there's been a battle and there's been victory yes. and the victory is Christ. Yes. And we get and, to share in the spoils. Yes. And in this case the victory is probably this man's heart. Yeah. But it's also a church that believes the gospel is powerful. Mhm. Yes. And beautiful. Yes. Absolutely. Well, then he turns toward the middle half of verse 16 and says, who's sufficient for these things? Mm-hmm. Now, he, he's essentially saying, "Who is it, are any of us worthy to be the ones that when we speak the gospel, we get to be the agent of God doing something that either leads to life or leads to death in the recipient who either rejects or clings to the message being shared? Like, who's sufficient to be the sharer of yeah. that message? Yeah, yeah. There is such great power in this. And I think he ultimately, he'll get more to it in other parts of 2 Corinthians saying, we're not sufficient. He'll say that in chapter 3 here in a bit. Right, right. But he's also then going on to say, but we sincerely believe we're commissioned by God just to speak Christ. Yeah. We're not going to be peddlers of God's word. We're not going to try to schmooze people with it. We're not going to try to convince the church to to do something to that's outside the bounds of just speaking the simple, pure gospel to this man and to yeah. one another and believing it. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. With that much sincerity, we're just going to follow through with the calling God's put on our life. I love those, those four simple words at the end of verse 17. We speak in Christ. That's it. It's prefaced by in the sight of God. So Paul's recognizing everything we do is fully under God's gaze. Yeah. So all we want to speak is Christ. And I think when he says we're not peddlers, yeah. I think what he's saying is we don't have to do the work of convincing. Because yeah. peddlers work really hard to convince a an unconvinced buyer right. that right. their product is exactly, exactly yeah. what that person needs. Yeah. And Paul yeah. says we don't have the sufficiency to convince anyone of anything. Right. But if we speak in Christ, yeah. that aroma God will be the one to make it effective, either unto death or unto life. But that's not our responsibility. Yeah. So we can sincerely just follow the commission God's put before us. Yeah. Yeah. Zin and Isaiah, where God says, uh, my word will not return to me. Exactly right. It will accomplish the purpose. Always. For which I have sent. Yeah. Always. This chapter encourages me because what I mean it's an encouraging word to say Christ always leads us in the triumphal procession but what I love about this that's uniquely encouraging is it comes on the heels of a specific situation that could have been disastrous 
if any peddling was going on or if any diversion from the pure gospel was going on. Because if there's a diversion from the pure gospel, this man should never be received by the church. He's the problem. He's the reason churches need to be pure and stay away from the world. And you could go any number of directions. Any peddlings involved, any impurity, contamination of the gospel, it's not a triumphal procession that leads from Jesus to Jesus. Yeah. But it is neat that Paul has such a glorious section of just the smell of a gospel-centered church, the aroma of it, and he links it to a specific situation that could have smelled so differently. Yeah. Yeah. If they would have not trusted his exhortation to expel the man because of Jesus. And now he's able to say, receive the man because of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty pretty cool chapter. It really is. It really is. And what a what a powerful way to keep on reminding them there shouldn't be any divisions among you. (laughs) Shouldn't be following any man. We're following Christ. Yeah. So it's really brings it full circle. Yeah, and speaking of full circle, maybe I'll bring our podcast here at full circle because at the beginning I said, what what encourages you, Bill, about what you see at Christ Community and what do you think we are maybe weak in and we need to grow in? And you said, essentially, knowledge of the Word and the Word is meant to always produce the aroma of Christ because Christ is the gra- and His cross and resurrection are the gravitational center of the Word. Yeah. And so what you have here is you can't have a church that loves the Word and loves Christ that won't also submit to the Word and submit to Christ in individual situations that are hard. Right. And that's ultimately what I kind of heard you say. And yeah. I may some, say something similar Sunday night of, I think we are a church that loves the Word. Mm-hmm. Would that we continue to grow as a church that will submit to the Word in the hardest of situations that require a Christ-centered interpretation and submission. Yes. That's yes. what Paul's referencing here. Yeah. Not just when we find it easy to obey, but when it's hard. When Jesus asks for things that it's more difficult to give up because <laughs> of our own stubborn hearts. You got it. Well, you have a stubborn heart. You tell us you have a stubborn heart. You I look do. like a very I, unstubborn man. No, I have a very <laughs> stubborn heart. I just keep it hidden well. <laughs> yeah. Stubborn and quiet, Bill, and most likely to peddle you, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, I, I, just, I can say this to the church before we close our podcast. I have seen that section of 2 Corinthians all 20 years of my ministry of God's ministry in my life and I I know that I'm a persuasive speaking individual as far as that's just the zeal that I carry my life with and I pray every day mm-hmm. that I would be kept by God's spirit only to preach Christ because I know what I'm capable of Yeah. and I had a seminary professor that said to me Jim I think one of the most uh visible gifts I see in you is God has made you winsome. Mm. And then he said, Jim, I think one of the most dangerous parts of your life for the rest of your days is going to be that you are winsome. Yeah. (laughs) And so I I do acknowledge as we close this up that, but by the grace of God, ministers of the gospel can become peddlers of divergent things that go beyond the bounds of Jesus and, and, and preaching Christ and him alone. Yeah. And crucified, yeah, and holding God's people to a surrendering posture to that message, and so He's using people like you in my life to make sure we do that. Um, he's using our word work to do that. Yes, even a podcast like this where we just want to sit in Scripture and see that we can understand what it says is doing that. And I pray for those listening that we would 
have the sincerity and the simplicity of savoring and speaking the aroma of Christ and leaving the results to God. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Keep Christ at the center. Amen. Everything. Mm. Well, folks, thank you. Um, Hey, we got through a podcast without AJ. Well... Hopefully. Or did or did we? <laughs> the jury may still be out. <laughs> and maybe we've missed the whole recording because we're not as technologically savvy either. So, but he will fix it for us. <laughs> if we have. Hope uh, you all have a great rest of your week, and we do hope to see you Sunday evening at Vision Night, following Sunday worship together as a congregation. We are so thankful for all of you. Have a great rest of your week. Thanks. Bye.